Good morning and welcome to Arendelle Alliance Church online service. Uh, my name is Michael Rapenda. I'm an elder at the church for you who don't know me. Um, we've got a few announcements this morning. First, a uh, reminder, our AGM will be held on Sunday, June 21st at 6 p.m. Uh, because of social distancing, this meeting will be held on Zoom. And if you prefer to attend in person, uh, there will be a limited number of people that we can accommodate in the fellowship hall as part of this meeting. To reserve a spot, please call the church and let us know. Um, also, in your e-bulletin, there is all the instructions on how to join um, that Zoom meeting. Also, if you are planning to attend the AGM, we will be having a test run meeting tonight at 4 p.m. to uh, work out any technical difficulties so that uh, in hopes that the AGM will run as smoothly as possible, um, the, the instructions to get onto that were also in your e-bulletin. I guess also if you are, have not been receiving your e-bulletins, please contact the church to uh, make sure you get on the list so that you can stay informed and connected. Uh, one last note here that on Sunday, June 28th, we will be having communion again. Uh, this time we will have a couple options. Um, one, there'll be a pre-recorded message or else um, we will also be doing a Zoom to connect and every, that everyone can participate with. And the instructions for that are in the e-bulletin. So let's uh, go into a time of prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today, each from our own locations, and we just marvel at your amazing power and grace and know that uh, we can do nothing without you. And we thank, thank you for all that you've blessed us with. Uh, it's especially evident in this uh, in this time of COVID when when simple things are uh, are not so simple. We just want to pray for our international workers, especially uh, Village Mission and Marie Enns right now, as they uh, they have both adapt in their own ways to uh, the ever changing world um, with COVID, as well as still still doing their their missions we want to thank you for our district churches in uh, Arviette, Assiniboia and Bethune as well as uh, just thank you for our, our local church of Arendelle and uh, our wonderful staff and uh, all they've they've done and the hard work they've put in to uh, to keep us connected uh, in a time of social distancing and uh, just pray th for the message that we are to hear today, just that uh, it will be taken to heart and is just a, a blessing for us all. And I pray, amen. Morning, everybody.
This was a brief introduction to how many things will change when we finally start meeting together for worship here at Airedale. I want to give you a very brief outline of what's happening in the church. First, the elders and staff have decided to, to, to take a go-slow approach. We don't want to rush into the changes that are available for us. And to guide this process, we've appointed a committee with representatives from staff, elders, and others in the congregation who have knowledge of the disease process, of our facility, and what the authorities and our community expect of us. So which principles will we be following? Above all, we want to glorify God by doing the following, by facilitating genuine worship, by following the guidelines our governments ask of us, and by demonstrating care for each other and our community. So a quick search of the Saskatchewan Health website will give you an idea 
of what is expected of places of worship that are opening. This is on Sask Health website. If you have any questions, please contact the church office. Well, finally, in this time of stress and of widely differing, differing opinions, we thank you for demonstrating God's grace towards each other as we each have a different thought as to how things should reopen. Some sooner, some later. Please be careful to be comfortable with your approach and think of others. We also want to thank you today for faithful giving. We appreciate that very much. Thank you for this time. Sorry, Dr. McBride, I'm going to have to ask you to walk that way and follow oh, the hands on the floor. I'm sorry. A lot of new procedures coming in. Good morning, my name is Emery and I will be reading with you today Acts chapter 5 verses 17 to 42 in the Christian Standard Bible. Then the high priest rose up. He and all who were with him who belonged to the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, the full council of the Israelites, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. But when the servants got there, they did not find them in the jail. So they returned and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing in front of the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. As the captain of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, they were baffled about them, wondering what would come of this. Someone came and reported to them, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the commander went with his servants and brought them in without force, because they were afraid the people might stone them. After they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest asked, Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you filled Jerusalem with your teachings and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than people. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you have murdered by hanging on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who is respected by all people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. He said to them, Men of Israel, be careful about what you are going to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. 
he also perished, and all of his followers were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. They were persuaded by him. After they called the apostles and had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Good morning, my name is Pastor Joran Green. I'm the lead pastor here at Arendale Alliance Church, and I want to welcome you to uh, our time in the Word this morning, wherever you might be, whatever day you might be watching on. Before we begin, I just want to make a comment. Uh, we've had people asking and commenting. We've had wonderful feedback about our online services. And I think uh, a couple of things would be helpful for people to be aware of. First off, we're actually recording this on a Wednesday morning, 11 days in advance. And so if now and again comments are made about circumstances, and you say, well, that happened a while ago, we're actually working a little bit in advance. And the reason is the other thing I want to point out. We have wonderful, wonderful tech people. There is far more hours going into these online services than what in some ways we would need for a normal Sunday morning. We shoot video, we've got video in different places, and they are handed on to other folks who are doing video processing and video editing. And the process is actually fairly long and involved. You would think for a one hour service, it would, it would only be a few hours, but our man hours are many. And so we are so thankful to the people who are giving of their time and their talents to record and to edit and to pull all of these elements together so that in the season where we can't meet in person, we can still have a service. And I think probably I'm the only one really not impacted significantly what it takes to prepare a sermon for a Wednesday morning video, pretty similar to a Sunday morning. So my world hasn't been changed very much, but for our tech people, this is so much more work. We are so thankful for them. So if you're thinking of them, please remember them in prayer. Don't be afraid to send a shout out to them as well. We're so thankful for them. And with this in mind, I want to ask the question, as we think about our obedience to Christ and our service to Christ, and we think about the, the various ministries running here at Arendale, I want to pose the question to us this morning, what price do we put on our obedience to Christ? I have teenage children. Some of you have met my kids. One of the conversations we often have in my home is, what price do we put on what we're going to do? Uh, a number of years ago, my son decided he wanted to Bible quiz. And we were willing to have him quiz, but the deal was he had to be willing to do the work and put the time in. And as he would practice and as he would train, it would mean that there were things he wouldn't do because he was practicing for his quizzing. My daughter and I do uh, some sports together. That comes at a cost. I remind my students regularly when they have opportunities, when I was at Miller, if you're going to join a sports team, it's going to come at the cost of something else. There's always cost to what we choose to do in life. And as we come to Jesus Christ, there is a cost associated. Have we actually counted the cost and considered, what is this going to demand of me? And am I willing to pay the price? And with this in mind, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 5. And we're going to continue our series as we pick up 
where we left off from our previous sermon. Previously, we've had the miracle of the layman being healed, and there was an interlude there with the Sanhedrin, very upset with the apostles, called them in, threatened them, don't teach in this name. We've seen how the apostles said, we must obey God, not men, have gone out, have continued ministry, and the church has grown, expanded, Ananias and Sapphira, and we have that little unfortunate incident as the church is learning to live in community, we now pick it up on the heels of that as the gospel has been going out, as miracles have been performed, as people are being healed, set free, and the gospel's being proclaimed. We pick up the story here in Acts 5, where the Sanhedrin again, knowing the apostles are teaching, are going to confront them, and we're going to see a different perspective on what the Christian life looks like because now persecution is coming to the church in a very meaningful and rather painful way. With this in mind, would you bow with me in prayer? Holy God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the chance to gather around it. Lord, would you speak to us? Holy God, would you guide us into all truth? Would what is said be from you? Would what is heard be from you? And would you mold and shape our hearts and make us more like Jesus, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the miracles have been performed, and in verse 17 of Acts 5, we read this. Then the high priest rose up, he and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And so the initial conflict here in Acts 5 isn't theological, It isn't sociological. It isn't for any practical reason other than the apostles look good. They're popular with the people. And the Sadducees are jealous. They don't like the attention that the apostles are getting. They don't like the praise and honor they're getting. And they feel threatened by it. And their principal motivation is jealousy. uh, Just a foundational personal uh, resentment. The people like them better than they like us. Well... They do what they can, which is arrest the apostles. We're not necessarily that far from the incident with Jesus. We're not sure, again, exactly, is it weeks, is it months, is it years? We don't know exactly how long it is after the resurrection. But just as they were jealous and resentful of Jesus and his teaching and the guilt that he made them feel that they would not repent of, we have the same scenario here. They arrest the apostles, intending to put them on trial. They previously had the run-in with them where they said, don't teach in this name, warn them sternly. The apostles haven't listened. Instead, they go and they ask. They pray for boldness, and more boldness is given. They arrest them, and I love what happens here. Verse, eight, verse 19, But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and tell all the people about this life. So the Sanhedrin is intending to stop the apostles. They arrest them. God decides you're not going to be arrested. He sets them free from jail and sends them right back to keep doing what they were doing. I I, I just, I find this so funny because here's the Sanhedrin trying to stop something. And every time they try and stop it, they're actually making things worse. I learned a valuable life lesson. And if my parents are watching this, I want you to close your ears for a moment. I learned a valuable lesson about gasoline when I was a kid. Do not pour gasoline on a burning fire because it makes the fire worse. Wasn't that old? It didn't turn out all that badly. Nobody was hurt. I was in, uh, in, in grade school in Karenport at the time. A couple of friends were burning ants. It was innocent. We made a horrible mistake. The Sanhedrin's pouring gas on a burning fire. 
every time they try and stop the apostles. They're making it worse. Now God's intervened, set the apostles free, sent them back to the temple. They go and they begin to preach even more, even though they were just in jail for preaching. Next morning, when the trial's about to start, they send the guards, go, go and collect the apostles. The guards go, they don't find the apostles. The doors are locked. They're a little confused. Someone, of course, comes in and says, well, aren't they teaching in, in the temple? And I love the comment that's made here. Verse 26, the commander went with the servants and they brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. Now keep in mind, the motivation of the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin right now is jealousy. The people like them better. When they go to arrest the apostles in broad daylight, after God has freed them from prison, when they go to arrest them, they have to be careful how they do it. Because the apostles are so popular with the common people, the guards are afraid of the crowds. And the crowds may react violently if they don't treat these apostles with a certain amount of respect and care and concern. And it really paints a very complex picture because the Sadducees, and in particular the Sanhedrin, are the ruling council of Jerusalem. They set the spiritual tone for the nation. They are the ones who say, this is what orthodoxy looks like. And yet, they are afraid of the apostles and the work of Jesus Christ in and through these apostles. So they arrest them very carefully. They bring them in, and verse 28, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in his name? Look, you filled Jerusalem with, his, with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Jealousy and guilt are now mixed together in the objection of the Sanhedrin. And again, as we saw the last time they arrested the apostles, nowhere here yet have they stopped and asked is what the apostles teaching true? We're not engaging with theological questions. We're not asking questions of scripture or of understanding. Their motivation is purely human and purely sinful. Jealousy mixed with guilt. Did we not tell you to stop teaching in this man's name? Well, Peter's response in verse 29 Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. They said they were going to do that. They've been faithful to it. Verse 30. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. God exalted this man to the right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who who obey him. Peter's response, we said we would not obey, and he again proclaims the gospel. There's an interesting twist here. I love this comment about hanging on the tree. This takes us to Deuteronomy 21. Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23, talk about, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. And I remember being introduced to that in Bible school, and one of my classmates pointing out, Jesus had to be killed on a tree. And the cross, of course, made of wood, the tree that Jesus is hung on. Because the cross was not a surprise. Salvation and this whole plan of God was before the foundations of the world. That Jesus would come, die for our sins. God even planned how he would die, when he would die, who would betray him. God knew the plans. God knew the answers. 
and God is working out his will and his purpose. And Peter, the untrained, unschooled fisherman, is the one who can tell the Sanhedrin the truth. And he doesn't sound unschooled and he doesn't sound unpolished because the work of the Spirit has done a transformation in this remarkable man's life. And he is able to speak the truth of God so profoundly. We are witnesses, he says, of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. We need two witnesses in Jewish system for any case to be considered sound. And we have two witnesses, the apostles, and there's actually 12 of them, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ died for our sins. Well, at this point, the Sanhedrin is angry. They want to kill them. They're furious. And they have not stopped to ask if what Peter has said is true. They're responding on a purely human, selfish, sinful level. They want these men dead. And at this moment, Gamaliel steps in. Gamaliel is still talked about in Jewish circles today, 2,000 years later. He was one of the chief Pharisees of first century Judaism. He was, in fact, Paul's teacher. Saul, who will become Paul, studied under this man in Jerusalem. You will still find references to his teaching. He is regarded as a wise, wise voice in Jewish thought. He's one of their great theologians. As we would look back on great theologians of the past, men like Augustine and Thomas Aquinas and, and so forth, Martin Luther, they would look back to Gamaliel and say, there was a great man of God who spoke wisdom. He now stands up. He's respected by both Sadducees and Pharisees, even though he's a Pharisee. Asks that the apostles be sent out of the room so they can talk about them. And his advice, his suggestion is, be careful what we're going to do with these men. And he points out a couple of cases here. That we had Judas, the Galilean, and before him, Theodos, who both rose up, and men who both claimed to be someone special, and they gathered a group of followers. And Gamaliel points out, in both these cases, these men, in gathering their followers, once they were killed, their followers were scattered, their movements came to nothing. And I love where he lands here, verse 38. If this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. He points out that if Jesus is simply human, we don't really need to stress over it because it'll stop as every other insurrection has stopped. And, and in the days of the apostles here, there have been many rebellions and leaders coming and leaders going and there's been violence and it has been a very difficult time for the Jews. And all of those little rebellions have come to nothing except to disrupt life for the majority. But he points out, if this is from human origin, it will fail. But notice what he says in verse 39. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found to be fighting against God. And Gamaliel in his wisdom points out, these guys may be from God. We need to be cautious. We need to be careful how we handle this situation. He's honored and respected enough, the Sanhedrin, in listening to him, agrees. They think that this is probably the correct course. But there's still a little bit of a vindictive streak here in them. Because they agree with Gamaliel, we'll let them go, because if this is human, it'll stop. If it's from God, we're going to lose. But in letting them go, they still take one last, very literal swipe or strike at them. Verse 40, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in this name. So they agree with Gamaliel, and yet 
they still have to act in vindictiveness. Remember, they want the apostles dead at this point. And flogging is a terrible, terrible thing where they would have beaten these men with whips. The response of the apostles, I suspect, is not what the Sanhedrin was anticipating. Verse 41. They went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be traded shamefully on behalf of the name. Usually, if we're being persecuted, we feel sorry for ourselves. Usually, if we're suffering and under, uh, under duress, we're not joyful about it. And I suspect in cases where the Sanhedrin has intervened in the life of other Jews, their response was not happiness at being punished. But the apostles go out, not because they're happy they've been punished, but they're happy because they're being faithful and obedient. And it takes us back to Jesus' own warning to them that if he is mistreated, how much more will his servants be mistreated? And Jesus warns his disciples repeatedly through the Gospels to be part of the kingdom of heaven means you're at war with the kingdom of this world. And there will be persecution and there will be punishment and there will be death and there will be challenge. And the call to us is to hang on. He, he warns us of this in the Sermon on the Mount, the book of Revelation is written to a church under duress. And God is saying, hang on to the end, be faithful and continue. And the apostles model for us a response here. They go out, they're thankful because they know they're disciples of Jesus. And their response to this whole situation, verse 42, every day in the temple and in various homes, they continue to teach and proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They've been ordered to stop talking. They won't. They have said they won't. And even after being flogged, they continue to do the gospel outreach God has called them to. Unless they think, well, maybe we shouldn't do it. They had the angel come as they are, are freed from the jail and said, go back and keep teaching in this name. This incredible, incredible call here. Tell them about this life. So what do we do with this? I want to suggest a few things here. And frankly, I find this text challenging on a number of personal levels because there's questions it asks of me that make me uncomfortable. First question is, have I hardened my heart so that I don't see the work of God or I don't see my own sin? And I ask this question because I look at what the Sanhedrin does and consistently enacts as opposition to the gospel happens. It comes from people who don't stop and ask, is this God speaking? They look at who is doing the talking. They look at who is acting. They look at what it means for them personally, in the case of the Sanhedrin, that they're guilty of Jesus' death. And they respond in sin and blind themselves to the truth. I can make fun of the Sanhedrin. I can say things like, how could they be so blind? And I'm reminded of one of my favorite songs, a song called If I Were There, and it's written by one of my favorite bands. The song is asking the question, how would I have reacted if I was at the cross? And at one point, the songwriter stops and goes, would I have laughed and jeered with the crowd or not? And there's really this sense in the song that we weren't there, and maybe we're not as holy as we think we are. And I see the example of the Sanhedrin, and it causes me to ask God for his grace and mercy that I would not blind myself to my sin and I would not blind myself to his work even if I don't understand or even if I don't see it. The Sanhedrin are the religious elite of the day. 
They have scripture. They have the Old Testament. Some of them would have vast tracts of it memorized. They have Isaiah 53 memorized. Suffering servant. We look at it and say, how could you not see Jesus in the suffering servant? Well, if they didn't, for all their memory and their study of scripture, it's maybe a reminder to us that we, in humility, need to come before God and ask, have we blinded ourselves? I find that a, a frightening question for myself personally. The second challenge here, the gospel must be proclaimed. Persecution, no persecution, doesn't matter. The message must go out. The kingdom must be proclaimed. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried, resurrected on the third day, and salvation is found in no one else. Peter's already talked about this. The message in Acts and in the epistles is always consistent. There is one Lord, there's one God, there's one Savior, there's one Spirit, and there's one gospel. And salvation only comes through this. Are we proclaiming the gospel? What am I doing on a personal level to share this new life that I have been given in Jesus with my neighbors and with those I'm coming into contact with? I, for me, at Renew to Saskatoon, everyone's a stranger practically. I don't know who are believers and who aren't. But what am I doing to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? And the third question this text asks of me, or reminds me of, will I pay the price of obedience? The apostles are jailed. God sets them free, but they're still jailed. And then they're flogged. It's easy for me to slip into this mindset that if I'm walking in obedience with God, he will make my life easy and he will bless me and he will take care of me. And the fact is, sometimes he does that. And we can point to cases like Abraham. I was just reading about Abraham. Abraham has hundreds of workers for him, enough he can raise up his own private army. He's wealthy. God has blessed him incredibly. But then we look at a case like Job, who, wealthy man, God has blessed, and then everything is lost. God restores it. But how many poor do we meet? How many martyrs have we had in church history? This text reminds me, the only true promise God has given me is eternity. And Jesus himself warned that this life will come with challenges. Paul in, uh, in Ephesians uses the battle concept or the battle illustration to remind us that we are in a war as Christian believers. And I come to this text, I'm reminded again, I need to commit myself to pay the price because it is only temporary. And if you ever want an example of why we need to be careful with our theology, this idea that there may be suffering in this Christian life and we may be asked to lay down our lives or, or give of ourselves in, in ways we don't want to, or we may be persecuted or any number of possible outcomes. Our theology becomes so important because when we understand what Christ has done, is doing, and will complete in us in eternity, then we can see the price of our current suffering and put it in proper perspective. When John receives the revelation and he writes to the seven churches, it's at a time where there's much persecution and much pain. And revelation reminds us as a church, God watches what happens. He may allow it. There may be suffering for a few of the churches in Revelation, those seven churches, the message, hang on, be strong, don't give up. 
and one of the great hopes in Revelation, a few times, we find out what really has God angry. Yes, it's sin. Yes, it's not worship of him. But one of the things that drives the wrath of God is the blood of the martyrs. When we are persecuted, God takes it personally. But it means I may be persecuted. Will I stand firm? I'm struck as we look at this in Gamaliel's example, uh, one final reminder for us here. We need the work of the Spirit and we need to spend time in the Word of God. Because Gamaliel's advice, it sounds great. If it's from God, we can't stop. If it's not from God, it'll stop. If we apply that same principle to our broader world, we're forced to ask some questions about some, some things that we would be pretty quick to denounce as Christians to say that is not from God. Gamaliel's advice falls short because Gamaliel does not have the spirit of God guiding him into all truth. And in the spirit guiding him into all truth, he's not engaging with the word of God in a way that is revealing truth to his soul. So those four questions again, have we hardened our hearts? Are we hearing and recognizing the work of God and seeing our sin? Are we proclaiming the gospel? Are we committed to being obedient to God even in the face of persecution? And are we welcoming the Spirit of God to guide us into all truth as we study the Word of God and seek God's heart for ourselves and for our nation? Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for the example of the apostles. We thank you for your work in them and through them. And Lord, it's frightening to see they do everything you've asked them to do, and yet there is persecution. Lord, I don't want to be persecuted. But holy God, my prayer is that you would give me a bold heart, that I'd be willing to be persecuted in your name, according to your will, to expand your kingdom. Lord, that's my prayer for all of us. Help us to count the cost, and Holy Spirit, show us that this life is only temporary, and maybe you'll bless us richly as you do some, but maybe you'll call us to pay a high price. But remind us of eternity. Use us to speak the truth and love about who you are and to proclaim your gospel to those around us, holy God. Lord, show us if we have been in sin. Show us if we've hardened our hearts to you. Lord, my prayer for us as a church community, that we would be a people filled by your spirit, knowing and trusting your word and walking with you faithfully, regardless of the cost, so that you would be honored and glorified because we know that that is your good pleasure. That is your good purpose. And we know that as we walk with you faithfully also, someday we will see you face to face. Lord, my heart's cry for us. That when you look at us, you would say, well done, my good and faithful servants. Work in us, speak to us. Guide us in this, I pray, for your sake and for ours. With much thanksgiving in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Good morning. I am. Uh, 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 uh. Hi, my name is Emery. We will be reading Acts. <laughs> Good morning. Hi, I am. I will be reading with you today. Uh, I don't want to say that. Today, I ask. Uh, I'll ask that you turn to chapter Acts, chapter five. Why did I say it like that? We'll be reading from chapter... No! <laughs> I'll meet in Solomon's... Colonnade. That's not how you... In Solomon's colonnade. 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 <laughs> colonnade. It's colonnade. There's a bug. Apostolistic signs and... Oh no, that's... <laughs> That's the headache. Okay. Do anything behind. Turning the night 
Turning the night, during the night. Turning them, turning. The great fear, no. The apostles, oh, they brought. Oh. God exiled this man to his right hand as ruler exalted. He didn't exile Jesus. This is just a practice, so it doesn't matter.